we can open our Bibles to 1 Peter today, and uh, we're going to be in chapter 2, so you can open your Bibles there. Uh, you know, we've been making our way through each week this great letter that was written by the Apostle Peter, and he writes to a people that he calls elect exiles, and that name refers to both Jewish and Gentile Christians who had been scattered at that time throughout various regions uh, like Pontus and Galatia, Bithynia, Cappadocia, these different regions that don't ring a bell for us. Uh, and yet the whole purpose uh, of writing them is because they had been displaced from their home country, uh, their home nation, and had largely because of persecution been scattered into these different places. And they were trying to figure out what it looked like to kind of live in this new place. And as followers of Jesus, we kind of find ourselves in a similar situation spiritually, where we find ourselves trying to live faithfully between two places, right? And we know that we are to live our days out here on this earth as good citizens, as best as we possibly can to be salt and light in this world. Uh, and yet we also know that we, as witnesses of Jesus Christ, and this includes in everything we do, not just when we gather for church, but in our work and in our play and in our rest and all the things that we do, we want to represent another country. We want to represent our citizenship in heaven, the kingdom of heaven, where don't you long with a hope and a future anticipation of what's to come? Do you? Amen. I heard it from my brother Jim just the other day. One week closer, right, one week closer. And, and it's true, we are every single day drawing closer to our salvation than when we first began. So every moment that passes is another moment towards heaven. And so, you know, the early elect exiles along with us today, you, you, you need to understand that you are identified by the Holy Spirit in that same way. You are an elect exile. What we're seeking to do is we're seeking to live faithfully with a dual citizenship. See, we're elect in that we are chosen by God for a home in heaven. But we are also exiled. We are living in a foreign land knowing that we are just passing through. Another word that can be used is a sojourner. You're just traveling through. When I was a high school pastor in Santa Barbara, we used to go on what was called a summer sojourn. And we, we packed out this big box truck with all of our food for an entire week, and we've got about 15 vehicles packed with high school kids, and we would travel from one destination to the next. We'd usually stop at three different places along the way, and it was really funny because, you know, we'd stop and we'd, we'd get settled in, and everyone would set up their tent and everything, and we'd be there, and we're having a great time, and it's like, all right, let's go, we're going to the next place. Wait, you mean I have to tear down my tent? Yeah, let's go. We're going to another cool place. And then they get to the next place. This place is more awesome than the last place. And then they get their tent set up and, you know, they're really resting and settling into the place. And let's go. We're going again. We're going to the next place. We were just sojourning through. We were never quite settling in to that place. And this is sort of the repeated theme of First Peter, that we are elect exiles headed toward heaven, not quite ever settling down here. Now, the way that First Peter has been written, it has a certain structure to it. We've been seeing first 
who we are in Jesus Christ. We've been uh, told a lot about our identity as Christians. So first we're told, who are we in Christ? And then what follows after that, what flows from that is, how should we live in light of what God has made us to be? That's the gospel. It's got to first start with who we are in Jesus and then how we live. If you cross those wires, it's religion, right? And so just when we thought that we had heard enough from 1 Peter about our identity in Christ, because chapter 1 was chocked full of our spiritual identity in Jesus, there's some more. Peter's going to throw out a few other ways that we as Christians can be identified with Jesus, Um, So with that context and with that understanding, we're going to pick it up in chapter 2, verse 9, and we're going to be reading down to verse 12, not in the King James Version, although I'm going to use the word peculiar later, but this is from the ESV. It says this, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the identity that we can have in you. Lord, that because you are these things, we become these things in you, Lord. God, we pray that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word today. God, would your spirit speak through me by your living word, and God, would we have hearts to receive everything that you would want to speak to us, and would our lives be transformed by your grace, in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. So starting off again in verse 9. Peter kind of gives this rapid fire way of identifying the believer in Jesus. He starts, though, by saying, but you. And we need to remember in that context that Peter is talking only to Christians in this letter, people who have already placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They have, you know, believed upon Jesus. They've surrendered their life to him. They believe that he is the son of God who died and rose again Because these identities that we're about to look at, they don't apply to all people. They don't apply to all people. They only apply to the people of God, those who have relationship with God through Jesus Christ and what he has done for them on the cross in the empty tomb. Now, Peter just said in the last words of verse 8 that not everyone believes in Jesus, that not everyone builds their life off the cornerstone, and that not everyone obeys the word of the Lord. And so there are some people to whom these identities cannot be applied to them. They, They cannot be ascribed to them. But this is my prayer. My prayer is that there would be no one here today 
who would go another day without becoming what you can be in Jesus Christ. And I believe that by the power of the word proclaimed, that it will produce faith in you, that if you haven't placed faith in Jesus, that today you can, that you can live a transformed life by the power of God and by the grace of God. And what it's going to require of you is that you would receive, that you would receive God's gift of grace that he wants to give to you today. And so when we're going to be talking about these different identities, I need to just say it only applies to the Christian. It only applies to those of you sitting in this gym this morning who have put faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so if you've done that, you need to be all ears to hear about your identity. This is what the Bible says that you are. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, and you are a people of his own possession, or you are a peculiar people. You're, a bunch, you're just a weird bunch here, aren't we? My pastor in Santa Barbara used to say, we're just a misfit pack of weasels. You know, but these identities that we've seen today in God's word, um, you know, did, did anybody wake up this morning and look themselves in the mirror and say, well, well, you, sir, are a royal priest. <laughs> you know, we, we laugh, but, you know, maybe it wouldn't hurt. Maybe it wouldn't hurt to every once in a while remind yourself of who you are in Jesus Christ. Because, look, these are terms that we don't often describe ourselves as. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm a royal priest. <laughs> not, not quite how you would introduce yourself on first impression. Yet, nonetheless... These identities are true about us if we belong to Jesus Christ. And knowing these marks of our identity, they, they will in fact actually change the way that we see ourselves. You know, I think there are many people, and, and I will include myself in this, who do not see themselves as they should. They do not see themselves as God sees them. And you know, if there's ever been anything in our world that people have been trying to figure out for a long time, it's self-esteem. I mean, how many books have been written regarding self-esteem? And now, Christian identity, it's not exactly like what the world describes as self-esteem because we do not find our identity in ourselves. We find our identity in Jesus Christ. See, to find our identity in Christ, the Bible, in fact, teaches us that you have to die to yourself, that you have to deny yourself. However, knowing your identity in Jesus Christ, this is what it's going to do for you. It's going to do what the world is longing to have in this pursuit of self-esteem. See, looking at each of these identities, what I pray would happen today for all of us is that we would be able to walk out of the church today a little bit more confident about life, a, a little happier, hopefully, about life, that if these things are true about us in Jesus Christ, then we could hold our chin up a little bit higher. You know, this position is not fit for a child of God. 
We hold our head up high. We know who we are in Jesus Christ. We have a hope that is set upon eternity, and we stand strong in that position of knowing who we are in Jesus. There's, there's no, you know, strengthen those weak and feeble knees, Hebrews says. Walk strong in your identity in Christ. You can walk out of here having sort of the self-esteem that the world is looking to have. You can have that confidence of faith in Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to do today, we're just going to look at each one of these identities and see how they are true about us. So first, we are called a chosen race. We are chosen race because we are chosen by grace. The word chosen can also be translated as elect. Um, that's a word that we've become very familiar with now in the book of First Peter. And what the Christian needs to understand, and hopefully you understand, is that God has done the saving. That we did not save ourselves. It is according to the foreknowledge of the Father, the sanctification of the Spirit, and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus that we have been redeemed. That's how First Peter started. That there is nothing that can give you credit to God choosing you, and there's nothing that can discredit you from God choosing you. God chooses, and you are simply to be the blessed recipient of his grace. Now, if you want to see how true this is, that God in his grace decides who he wants to save, look at the Jews and the Gentiles. Prior to Acts chapter 10, there was one race, there was one people group that God worked through, that he redeemed, and that was the Jewish people. One particular race that God chose to reveal his redemptive plan through. But then, at a certain point in time, although it was a mystery that was hidden, God chose to bring in all other races after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those other races are what the Bible calls Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And we learn from Ephesians chapter 2 that what God was doing in this masterful plan was that he was bringing together Jews and Gentiles into one common salvation through the Son, Jesus I keep losing my audio. Are we good? Cutting out? No? Okay, we're good. Uh, and so what happened? is that when we took, God took Jews and Gentiles, he created one whole new man in Jesus. Is that the way we're going? Thank you, Nick. All right. Why'd you do that to me? I don't like these things. All right. As I was saying, we are a holy race. Peculiar people. Peculiar people, a bunch of weirdos in here. That's exactly it, Ben Kai. What God was doing is he was taking Jews and Gentiles, he was creating one entirely new race of people. That, that, that our ancestral line no longer comes from Adam, but that we have been brought into the family of God through Jesus Christ, and therefore we are his spiritual ancestry. And so it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. It doesn't matter uh, what language you speak. Because of every tribe, nation, and tongue, God has brought together, united as one people in Christ, and that is who we are in him. We are a chosen race. Amen? 
We are also a royal priesthood. So this is our second identity in Christ. And if, you know, you understand where identity comes from, that if Jesus is something, then very likely we, we are that too, right? We, we partake as co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And so if Jesus is a royal priest, then therefore we are royal priests. Now there's a super cool and unique thing about being a royal priest. Because in the time of when God was working with Israel, there was a separation of powers. There were certain tribes of Israel that had certain responsibilities of leadership in Israel. Now, the royal tribe, the tribe from which kings came from, that was the tribe of Judah. So Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. He was a descendant of King David, right, who was also of that tribe. And Jesus rules a kingdom that has no end. So he's a king forever. He's the king of kings. Amen. But then if Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, then how can Jesus also be a priest? Because for priests to come, they had to come from the tribe of Levi. And Jesus didn't come from that tribe. His lineage was from the tribe of Judah. He was a king. But what we learn from the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is a priest according to another priesthood. We find now this fascinating stuff that even the writer of Hebrews says, if you dive into it and if you explore this stuff, it's like meat. You know, we start out, as we learned a couple weeks ago, on the pure spiritual milk of God's word, but there are also these deeper things that are like meat for you to digest as you grow into the maturity of your faith. And there's this dude in the Bible, his name's Melchizedek, and it's fascinating. You could study this guy endlessly. And what we find out is that Jesus is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And that is why he can be both a priest and a king. Isn't that pretty wild? And so if you are in Jesus, you are both a priest and a king. Now, we haven't even talked about how this plays out in just the whole New Testament principle and idea that there is a priesthood of all believers. You know, I don't stand up here with like my clerical collar and I'm the only one allowed to do what I'm doing here. But that all of us have been commissioned with the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of us are royalty. All of us are a priesthood where we go out and we represent Christ as living sacrifices. And we are royal priests and priestesses according to the to the line that we have in Jesus. Now, the third identity that you've been given in Christ is that we are a holy nation. And this identity, I think, had to be a very special one for those first exiles that Peter was writing to, because again, they were driven out from their nation of origin and they were living in these foreign lands as refugees. And so to be told that they were a holy nation, what I believe it would have done for them, it would have made them realize that although they were displaced to these other nations through that dispersion, what they were really, what they really were was they were a nation that was set apart. You guys remember, right, that, that word holy simply just means to be set apart for God. It talks about like our, our moral um, righteousness, but it also just has to do with the idea of being set apart for God. 
And then that word nation comes from the word ethnos, which is where we get our word ethnicity. And so this nation of people that God is forming and that is set apart from this world, again, it is composed of all people across all time and across all space. It is a spiritual nation. It's a nation that has no end. Look, guys, nations will rise and fall, but God's holy nation will endure forever. And to understand that truth, to understand our nationalism of heaven, if you will, that, that it would give us a whole different kind of nationalism where the recognition of your nationality will be your holiness. That if we are a holy nation, you are of another nation and the way you represent that nation is by your holiness. Amen? See, what I think Peter also was doing here is, is he's alluding to how Israel lived as a nation, and they often lacked holiness. It's what got them into a lot of trouble. And uh, holiness among God's people is really the health of a nation. And remember, we represent two countries. We are citizens of heaven, and yet we're to be good citizens of this earth. And so we all belong to a nation, right? We live here in America, and we need to remember that our holiness will have an effect upon even our earthly nation. So our identity that we have in Jesus Christ, that we are a holy nation, it will have its effect upon the nation where we live. And let me just give you two effects that it'll have. It'll have a preserving effect, and it'll have a separating effect. Christians will have a preserving effect upon their nations because of their holiness. But at the same time, a separating effect because our holiness shows that we are indeed set apart. Isn't that a weird tension? Has anybody felt that tension living today in this world? Trying to be a Christian in this nation, trying to live for heaven and yet trying to preserve, and then knowing that you are still also separate. See, our identity in Christ of being a holy nation, it'll have that effect. And I don't often get into some of this stuff, but when the scripture gets into it, I'm going to get into it. And so here's what I want to talk about for just a moment, how this truth can apply to Christians living in particular nations today. I want to think about Christians that are living in Russia today. I want to think about Christians living in Ukraine. I want to think about Christians living in America. So for Christians living in Russia, this, this might be their thinking right now, is that they belong to a nation, and yet... They, they might be thinking, but my values come from a holy nation. And I can't identify with this particular nation in the things that are being done. And, and then think about Christians in Ukraine that although they have been displaced, a lot of them from their own nation and are now finding refugee in other surrounding nations, what they can do is they can take hope in the fact that they belong to a holy nation that has no borders and has no end. 
And then as Christians in America, what we can do is that we can unite in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ that are both in Russia and Ukraine, knowing that together we as a holy nation are united together as one in Christ and that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but have divine power to pull down strongholds. Can anyone say amen to that? Okay, good. See, because our identity is not just to be like, oh, this, this is me, right? And you just hold your hand. It, it applies into this world. We, it, it affects and it influences the world in which we live. Then we are called a people of his own possession, the very beautiful way of saying you belong to God, that God owns you. You are a possession that he purchased with the blood of the Lamb of God. And then the other rendering, right, from the King James is that we are a peculiar people. And, and that word peculiar actually has the idea that we are, we are privatized. We're not just ordinary people, but we are a peculiar kind of people. And our peculiarity comes from the one we belong to. That we are God's possession. That another translation can be, we're God's private property. We are God's private property property, if you will, and if you belong to him, you belong to him alone. You know, inscribed on, on my ring and my wife's ring is a verse out of Song of Solomon. Um, my rings, or her ring says, I am my beloved's, and then the inside of my ring says, in my beloved is mine. We belong to each other, and we're the only ones we belong to, right? And in the same way, there's an inscription in our lives that tells us who we belong to. We are God's possession. We relate to him and him alone. And so this is our four marks of identity that ought to give us this confidence of faith that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people of his own possession. So we're a peculiar breed, aren't we? We're a unique bunch. And the great truth of all of this is this, guys. This is the gospel truth of it, is that we have been made into what we were not. We were not chosen, not royal, not holy. We were not God's people, but through the life-giving sacrifice of Jesus, that is what we have been made to be. So what should that do for you? If that is true about you, how should you live in loving response to those things? Should it cause you to think, well, yeah, you know, I am pretty awesome. Should it cause us to look down our noses at other people who might not be that way yet? Yesterday at the men's breakfast, one of the things that was said that I loved in just this idea is... Um, Chris got up and he, he called um, unbelievers, he calls them pre-Christians. Isn't that a great way to look at it? That look, this is our identity. We are a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people of his own possession. And yet there was one time when you were not that. And so when you look at people who are not that yet, consider them as pre-that. That they can become what you are because again, it is God in his grace that gives this. Now, look at verse 9. You have been given this new identity for a reason. 
It's not just to, oh, look how awesome I am, or to look down our noses at people. It has been given for a purpose in verse 9, second half says, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous lights. And so the truth is that God made you this way. God called you out of darkness, and that is the domain of Satan. And, and he, he called you out when none of these things were true about you, but he called you into his marvelous light, which is the domain of Jesus, and he has made you these things. Rob, Rob told me this morning that there was this missionary who talked about that transaction going from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of life. It's, I wasn't saved. I was taken I was taken out of the darkness of life and I was placed into the kingdom of life. Because if we're honest, a lot of us would say we enjoyed the darkness. Mm -hmm. Men love darkness rather than the light because in the darkness you can do your evil deeds and not be seen. But when God takes you and brings you into the light, you become a whole different person where your, your identity influences the way that you live and by your identity and the way you live, what you're doing is you're proclaiming the excellencies of who? You? No, him. You're proclaiming him. We are chosen, royal, holy, and peculiar because that's what God is. And we are proclaiming him and all glory goes to him by his redeemed people. Now look at verse 10. To make sure that none of this stuff goes to our heads in a wrong kind of prideful way and make us think about what we have done and how great we are, Peter reminds us that this was all God's doing, so God gets all the credit. We say this often, give credit to where credit is due, right? God did this in you. And so look at verse 10. Once you were not a people but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's just something so striking and humbling about that verse, where you used to not be this way, and now you are. And it's all because of God's love and grace that has been bestowed upon you. Now, now let's look at verse 11 as we're kind of bringing this plane in for a landing here. So, Again, the heart of this letter is this is who we are, but if we leave it there, we've missed the part of how it should influence the way we live. And so look at verse 11. Beloved, that's you. If you're a Christian, you are loved by God. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against the soul. Again, Peter calls us beloved because we're the loved children of God. And then he says, I urge you, because this is an urgent message. This isn't just meant to be like, oh, hear a little bit of that, apply a little bit. It's urgent. Take it seriously and do something about it. This whole new identity in Christ is not to be taken lightly, but it's to be received and lived into with great diligence and care. Because remember, you are a citizen of heaven, and so you have to cultivate that mindset. We learned about a month ago that gird up the loins of your mind and prepare for action. That was a month ago. I don't know if, if that Sunday you, you're like, 
yes, I'm ready. And now you've just gone, eh, you know, let the robes kind of go back down. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be prepared for action. Be sober-minded and ready because at any moment Christ can come back. And that is a sanctifying truth. When Christ comes, how will he find you living? We do not want to be ashamed of his appearing. We don't want to shrink back when he comes. And so as we live in this world, these identities should shape the way that we live because we can't just assume that what is offered through media is helpful to the soul. We can't assume that what the priorities of society and culture have are helpful to our souls. We, we can't assume that the strategies and the values of business and industry are helpful to the Christian soul. We don't assume that any of the world's ways are God's ways. So what we have to do is we have to engage. We have to look in our Bibles. We have to think and consult the wisdom of our heavenly country and pull down heaven to earth. Let your kingdom come on earth as it, is, as it is in heaven. And that starts with each individual person of Christ. So that when you see yourself as a sojourner, and as an exile, where your citizenship is in heaven, where God is your king, what happens is when you, when you think that way, you, you don't just settle into things. You don't drift with the culture and the current of the day, but you're established and you ponder and you think deeply about what is good for your soul and that what you would do with your soul would honor God. What I'm saying, guys, is that elect exiles, what we do, we get our cues from God and not from this world. Think about Lot. Lot was supposed to just be sojourning through, traveling through, and, and it talks about how Lot was a sojourner, but then it says he became a resident of Sodom. And that is when he lost his testimony of holiness. When he became a resident, when he settled into that place that eventually in one day was judged and destroyed by God. So keep reminding yourself, Christian, you are a stranger and pilgrim in this world. Remember that we are not just citizens of earth hoping to get to heaven. We are citizens of heaven sojourning on earth. It's a mind shift. And when you have that mind shift, what you do is you will abstain from passions of the flesh. Everyone good? I've got five minutes left. You know when I said like five minutes ago I'm gonna bring this plane for a landing? That was like a preacher's way of saying, I'm almost done, but I'm not done. <laughs> Everyone okay? I got like a couple more minutes, because, okay, thank you. Thanks for the permission, I appreciate that. Because <laughs> if you would have said no, I would have, okay, fine, I'm gonna come down. There's the passion of the flesh and there's the fruit of the spirit. For homework, go read Galatians chapter 5. Um, Galatians 5, 19 through 21 gives a whole list of passions of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, enmity, strife, jealousy, all those. You can go read it. And then the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Probably have that memorized in your heart because against those things, there is no law. When we're living those things, we're living for the desires 
of heaven and of God. But there's these passions of the flesh that wage war on your soul. I don't know if you feel it, but I feel it a lot of times. Sometimes it just, it's mellow, other times it's really heated. But that there is a battle going on in your soul. There is a constant war that the flesh wages war against the spirit because they're contrary to one another. And if you've lived any amount of time as a Christian, you understand that there is an ongoing struggle within. I like our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers of this age. But I like how Paul describes that, that the Christian life is a struggle. Our struggle, that's like a great title of Christianity. It's not just a struggle. There's joy and love and peace. We don't just want to be like, Oh, Christianity is a struggle. It's such a bummer, right? We can hold our head up high knowing our identity, but a lot of times it's a struggle because there is a war within. Let me just comfort perhaps a struggling believer. You know that's possible, right, to be a struggling believer? A Christian is not a person who experiences no bad desires. A Christian is a person who is at war with those desires by the power of the Spirit. So the sign of whether you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, which makes you a Christian, is not that you have no bad desires, but that you are at war with those fleshly desires. You've declared war because you know that the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for they are opposed to each other to keep you doing from doing the things that you want to do. I know that you want to live righteous, on fires, lives in Christ, but oftentimes there is a war, but you are a different person. You have an identity. You are born again, new creation in Christ. Knowing your identity will strengthen you in the struggle. So that verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evil doers, they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And with that, I'll call the worship team up and I'll end on that point. So um, it's become sort of popular in Christian culture and the church to say, um, you know, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Has anybody ever said that? I've said it. Don't look at me, don't look at Jesus. Don't look at me, look at Jesus. And I get the sentiment of it is that Jesus is holy and perfect and righteous. He is the Savior. We have to look at Jesus to be saved. But a lot of times people say, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Because if people were to look at you, they would see the inconsistencies of your life. They wouldn't see holiness. So don't look at me, look at Jesus. But how was the Apostle Paul able to say, follow me as I follow Christ? And that's not just something that the Apostle Paul said. That's something that everybody who is a royal priest should be able to say. Follow me as I follow Christ. And the whole point of that is, is that, that if somebody were to look at you and to follow your example of righteous living, they would be following Christ. Why? Because you're following Christ. 
And that feels like a high standard, does it not? And yet, a lot of times it feels like a high standard because we're not sober-minded about our identity in Jesus. We identify ourselves in a lot of other ways that we shouldn't identify ourselves. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, and you're a bunch of weirdos. But we are in Jesus, and these identities are true about us, and what they do for us is that they cause us to be moving from earth to heaven. You know, yesterday I moved houses. We just moved into a new place, and over the last couple of weeks, we've been living between two places. We had a condo in RPV, and we just moved over here to the other side of the hill, and um, we were slowly moving our things over. Slowly moving our things over until finally last night we were there and we had all of our belongings, everything was in the house and we were dwelling in the house and we rested in the house and we were there, we, were, we live there now. It brought this great picture of being a sojourner here on earth that every single day I wanna bring a little bit more of my possessions to heaven. I want a little bit more of my life to be more set up on heaven, storing up treasure there because that is my eternal dwelling place. And there's going to come a day when you won't be a dual citizen. You'll be a citizen of one country and it's heaven. And Jesus lives there. And there's no struggle there because there's no flesh there. There's resurrected life there. There's resurrected bodies there, but not that sinful nature that you struggle with today. And so by the Spirit of God, put to death the deeds of the flesh. Live by the Spirit of God, and the Holy Spirit today can give you the power to do that. Amen? Let's all stand up, church, and let's worship Jesus for these wonderful truths. Amen.